You're listening to the Christian Post Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Showalter. For many people, the year 2020 has been a year of great shaking and substantial loss. And as is the case every year after people endure loss, the holiday season often serves to accentuate that pain. Indeed, with the coronavirus pandemic and political turmoil, many have lost jobs, businesses, and loved ones this year. But ask any parent, and they'll tell you that there is no greater pain and loss than losing a child. But neither COVID-19 nor social unrest was the cause of the tragedy that befell the family of Pastor Bruce Boria earlier this summer. His 37-year-old son Jared was kayaking on Diamond Lake in Oregon during a camping trip when he went missing. For over a week, the Boria family waited in agony, holding out hope that Jared was still alive. Unfortunately, divers eventually found his body at the bottom of the lake. Pastor Boria is the pastor of Bethany Church in Greenland, New Hampshire, and today he joins me for a frank discussion about encountering Jesus amid searing loss with words of encouragement for those facing similar scenarios this Christmas. Dr. Bruce Boria, welcome to the CP Podcast. So good to have you today. Thank you for having me. Well, first things first, how are you doing? Well, um, it's a, someone sent me a, a card and it said that the journey of grief causes you to wake up in a different place every day. Yeah. And I think that's a fitting description. So in a different place every day, could you elaborate a little bit more on what that's like? Because I imagine it was fresher when it first happened, but how has that changed over the months? Well, actually, when we first um, learned about my son's uh, you know, passing, it it really puts you like in a in a, just a place of shock, and right. there's so many details that um, you have to get done, and especially in this COVID environment. Um, we live in New Hampshire. My son was living all the way on the other coast in uh, in Portland, Oregon, actually in Vancouver, Washington, and uh, I have another son that lives in Portland. But it was um, you know trying to. Um, juggle all the logistics and timing and so that the first couple of weeks really go by in a blur it's really i think only when you begin to really uh, have some time where you could be alone with your thoughts and you know with my spouse now uh, cindy that um, in some ways it could be a little bit more trying and um so even though you think time passes, there is a just a starkness of the reality of him not coming that regardless of faith, it, it just still stings. Right. I'm sure it has to be so hard. Well, this has been a great year of, um, of loss for many people. Certainly, you mentioned the coronavirus with COVID and all of the people who've lost loved ones to that disease. But our nation has been... You know, through a lot of political turmoil as well, and people have lost their businesses, and you know they've you know, some people have died even in in these riots, and there's just it just seems like people I think they joke about how crazy 2020 has been, but no, this has been a deeply deeply painful year of loss. Could you, as speaking as a pastor, could you zoom out and what do you think um, God is doing in the midst of this, where where so many have had to deal with such with such substantial loss in this time. Someone said that the um, God may have been 
having a double entendre with uh, this 2020. <laughs> and usually we use it to speak about vision, not just a date. Right. And maybe we've been using it to clarify a lot of our vision. Because on, on one level, it just underscores our inability really to, you know, to um, fix a lot of these broken situations, right. whether it's, you know, the passing of a loved one or a pandemic. Um, there, there are so many things that are just beyond our control. And, and one, on one way, it, it causes people, if they have eyes to see and ears to hear, to, to really then begin to think a little bit more deeply about their faith and the ramifications of all of these promises. I I, um, I came across a text from Psalm 119.50 that said, my comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. Mm. And I think um, in a psalm that highlights the supremacy of the word, it, it really matches, right? But it applied it in a way that you said, your comfort in, a, in your suffering is this, that like, God's word is sure, like, he will preserve your life. Right. And I find like so many times when you become overwhelmed with so many details that you have no control over, right. um, that you have to anchor those thoughts in, in, in the reality that God presents before you. Um, you know, simple as when Jesus says, look, why do you worry about tomorrow? You know, um, you can't add a single you know, day to your life or an inch to your stature. So um, why do you worry? But, and that in itself just kind of gives you a little pause button and go, yeah, yeah, why, why am I getting so, I got to trust him. Mm-hmm. So I think that maybe one of the things God is trying to do here is just clarify our vision, make sure that um, we are fixing our eyes on him and running this race of faith with greater endurance. Well, those are very excellent thoughts there too. You know, um, one of the things that when I read, I read about your story, my colleague reported on what happened to your son, and uh, it was just so moving. And you stressed that your family's experience at the time in the last couple of weeks, because there he was, they couldn't find his body for some time, and then they did find it eventually. Um, but you said it wasn't unique, and that you picked up a book um, by Randy Alcorn called Heaven, and you spoke, and he speaks of this terminal disease that all of us are suffering from, and you know, as human beings, we all have uh, a terminal disease called mortality. And, you know, guess what? The death rate to that, <laughs> a lot yeah. higher than COVID, you know, one, 100%. <laughs> and, and unless the Lord comes back, we're all going to be affected by that, you know. And I, and he says, he, I'm just going to continue here, you, that we don't like to think about it, but three people per second die. <laughs> 100, uh, 180 people per minute. And, you know, 11,000 per hour. And so you're recognizing that you are not alone in this. And so you had to, you had to glean from this experience of, you know, letting your heart grieve, which you you were then doing. How else has Randy Alcorn helped you in this time? And what else, what else did you learn from that book? He's, he's such a great guy. Yeah. There was a devotional that he wrote called we shall see God. Mm -hmm. And uh, before my son's passing, you know, just as a pastor, uh, trying to come alongside people in their grief. Um, you're always looking to 
put something in their hands that can articulate maybe their their feelings and help them to uh, begin to kind of confront uh, the the challenges that are before them. And I felt like the especially the the book of heaven was was a, a you know a profitable read. People don't talk enough about heaven, uh, at least not from a a a biblically supported view. And I think Randy does an excellent job of speaking uh, to a subject that um, doesn't get much play. Mm-hmm. But the book, uh, We Shall See God, was another book where he um, took uh, excerpts from sermons from uh, uh, Spurgeon and uh, put them in a devotional book. And I found that that was a good way to give people bite-sized pieces uh, throughout their week. And so... Um, Having given that book away, um, I I just read it, you know, from you know a uh, a renewed perspective. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What was the hardest moment that you've had since your son's death, since they found his body? What was sort of the moment where you just sort of felt the the lowest of the low? I, you know, most most guys we tend to want to fix things Mm -hmm. and um the the hardest in all of this was not my theological wrestling with why god yeah you know i i I, honestly i'm not i'm not trying to come across you know as this spiritual giant i'm I'm, but i am speaking the truth i mean i'm just that that was not a big struggle for me because like you said you know, everyone has so much sand in their hourglass mm-hmm. and no one knows how much sand you really have. Right. And, um, and we don't, we don't live with that, um, thought very often until something happens, um, that kind of rocks your world a little bit, you know, a, right. a bad diagnosis, right. Or someone close to you. Um, so I, I have found myself over the years being forced and my wife, uh, she's a critical care nurse. Um, when I met her, she was um, doing life flights and, you know, just um, she's, she's seen, you know, um, the, the mortality right. of, of humankind up close and personal. And now she works at, you know, uh, at a um, assisted, she, she has a, a, a really uh, excellent assisted living facility here in uh, New Hampshire called Riverwoods. Um, so neither one of us you know, are shocked by, you know, just the presence of, of death. But when you ask me what was the hardest thing and still kind of brings me to tears sometimes, it's just having to, you know, uh, sit across the table from your spouse who, you know, their heart is breaking mm-hmm. and how much love that they have because they, they bear, you know, um, this reality a little bit differently. They bore that son mm-hmm inside of her you yeah. know oh, yeah. and that so so that honestly has been the hardest thing and probably one of the most proudest moments that i had for my wife because she's been she's a very strong person a very tender-hearted person but when we my son was married for four years mm-hmm. i don't have any children and um and when we flew out uh, West to just re- reunite with my other son, who like I said lives in Portland, and and his bro- and uh, my son's 
you know, uh, wife, Rowan, um, she just instantly went into this mode of really caring for Rowan and, you know, just coming alongside this young woman now who just, she had all of her life ahead of her, right? With all the dreams and aspirations that you normally have. And right. now to realize that that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen with, with my son. Um, just seeing her do that was just, it was just amazing to see how she could do that. And all the while knowing like her heart is breaking in a way that even my son's wife really would not know. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so the hardest part has been coming alongside. Tell you uh, just a little, you know, how, how life sometimes could be so twisted. Mm-hmm. We're sitting on the couch one day and I look over and I just see, her eyes filling up with tears. And I said, are we having a good day today? And she says, you know, I just heard this song on the radio and it's, it's all those triggers, right. That, mm-hmm. that happened that everyone yeah. talks about. So she had one of those that day. So I said, you know what, look, let's get up and we're just going to, I, I surrender. We'll watch one of these dumb little Hallmark Christmas movies. Oh boy. <laughs> right. So we sit down, dude, it, it had to be one of the worst ones to pick. It was like, this one's dying. They're not coming to the Christmas table. And I'm looking over and she's like bawling her eyes out. I'm sitting there and I'm crying. And I'm like, whose bright idea was it to do this? Yeah. But you know what? In the providence of God, it probably was the best thing because it was like pulling the scab off of a wound. It, um, it just got us ready. Like that. We both look back on that, on that, on that evening that we were alone and we're just watching and we both looked at that and said, you know, that was, that was God's way of just getting us ready. Cause there is going to be an empty chair at this, at this Christmas table. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm telling you, it was, it was a marked difference in her countenance um, moving forward as we're going into this Christmas season. Yeah. Some people say the Hallmark channel is so evil like that. You just never know what kind of <laughs> bomb is going to drop on you in those movies. <laughs> <laughs> No, but you, you know, it really is, um, yeah, those moments do just sort of bring it out in us. How can churches respond to pastors in grief, and how has your church come alongside you? Boy, uh, you know, when I, as I said, we were we were out in, in Oregon, mm-hmm. so um, they were searching the lake for his body, and it, and uh, so it, it took the, I think it was like about, July that I found out that he went missing on the 1st of July and I I think it was around the 9th of July that I got the call where they found him so it was every day every day you know just wondering and part of that was good because I think it gave everyone an opportunity to get beyond the shock right Mm -hmm. well when all that happened I um, I may not have said this to you, but I, I also pastored a church in Oregon, in Portland, Oregon, for mm-hmm. 10 years. Wow. And so um, when my, my name, Borea, is not a very uh, common name. And so when that word went out and all my friends and family members and everyone there, you know, just heard about this news, um, it wasn't just on the East Coast. It was also on the West Coast. Wow. And um, I even had an opportunity to preach at a church, at a small little church in uh, Sisters, Oregon. Um, just, be, you know, people knew of the tragedy and asked if I would come and, and speak to them. 
So um, that that experience that of being on the receiving end of people's kindnesses and thoughtfulness, it. Um, I, if you have a minute, I'll just give you like maybe like two Please. two, no, this is two examples. Well, when we went out to Oregon, um, you hate to think about money, right? But now I have, you know, I have four sons. Um, they're, you know, uh, their partners. I have two grandsons. My son has a, you know, uh, a home. But um, everybody's saying, and for this long period of time, everybody's thinking now, okay, we're not, people aren't working a normal schedule because of COVID, but they still have to work, right? And and so they're online, and some people got leave, and um, the, the, just the, the kindness, the thoughtfulness of people to come and just bring over like meals, or like we had a friend um, that that had a home right there in the in the gorge, uh, in uh, along the Columbia River, and um, they said, look, why don't you just come over to our home? Um, there's like two or three families that we were pretty close to when I was pastoring there. And they said, Bruce, we haven't seen you for a while, but we, we listened to you on online. And, um, we would love if you just come up to our house, we're going to cook dinner for you. And, um, we'd love for you to do that. So this was all done before they had found my son's, my son's body. So by the time the day came that we had arranged that we were going to go to their home, um, it, in the providence of God, it just fell that it was, it was the following day oh, wow. found the body. So what that, that meant is that we, we wound up going to my friend's home. They, um, they had a pool outside. It was a beautiful day. Everybody came, uh, all the family, um, despite all this COVID stuff, they were, they went swimming. We had, you know, some appetizers, all that kind of stuff. And then unbeknownst to me, another friend that lived down the road from them has a beautifully landscaped, you know, um, you know, pro uh, property. And they had gotten together uh, with another family and they cooked us dinner. So we went there thinking we we're just hanging out at this one home. And then when we got there, we went over to this other home. And when we got there, everything was with candlelights outside, a fire pit. And you know what? We were we had a memorial service right there, like an impromptu, like it was all of us. Wow. And we just wound up having a service. Mm. And you just think about not only the intimacy of the setting, mm -hmm. but all my family was there. And you know what? The expenses of all these things could be astronomical for some. Mm -hmm. And you know what? We did all of that. And um, it was just another level of generosity from people and, I know they know how much it meant to us, but that was that was amazing. Yeah, you know that we were able to do that. It is amazing to see how the body of Christ can rise to the occasion when there is this great need. I just I so long to see that happen in in more areas, but that's just it's yeah. just such a beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. How do you think? Yeah. What What do you think people misunderstand about? Uh, grief did you find you know this is probably would have to be i would i would think the greatest loss or pain in your life and was there anything that sort of surprised you about what it was actually like and what do you think people misunderstand about it before versus when they actually go through it 
well, there's nothing in your life that is quite as final. Yeah. You know, like um, if your health goes bad, um, you still hold out hope that maybe somebody's going to find some medicine mm-hmm. or some procedure or something. You know, um, there's, I don't know if you've ever seen that um, that movie years and years ago, you know, Dumb and Dumber, mm-hmm. where the guy falls in love with this girl and at the end of the movie, he looks at her and he's like, hey, you know, what's the chances of you and I going out? And she looks at him and she says, like, one in a million. Mm-hmm. And he looks at her and he says, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hilarious movie. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so I, I think we live our life very often like that. Like, so you're saying there's a chance. Mm-hmm. But when you're staring out at death, there is no chance. It's, it's over. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's, it's, a, it's a finality of life in this world as we know it Mm -hmm. and um you could talk all you want about heaven and and i and i do and i and i am finding my strength in all those promises like i told you but on this side of eternity yeah i am not going to see my son again and that kind of just the finality um there's nothing like it like Everything else, you know, you're kind of skimming through, but not not this. Yeah, I mean, it, that was one of the things. Like uh, when when it took a long time for them to discover my son's body. I remember um, I sat down with my sons and my my and my wife, and um, I said, "Guys, listen," because um, they had found for a couple of days they didn't even find the um, the uh, kayak or any any other signs and and about a day and a half later they found the kayak they found his flip-flops you know and and so i thought so i sat down with my sons i said i i know we're all holding out hope Mm -hmm. i said but i i just have to tell you that i I want you guys to prepare your hearts because i i think your brother has has passed away Mm -hmm. And they're like, Dad, you can't say that. You don't know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, guys, you're right. I, I really don't know. But I would think that with that many people looking and the campsites being aware, um, I, I just, I, the, the odds are against them. And I, I'm, I'm just telling you this. There would be nothing that would make me happier to hear that he comes walking out of the woods. I said, but... Um, I just need I need you to start preparing your heart that this that this is this is over. Mm-hmm. And um we had like you know uh, shed some tears around the table and I think it was a good thing like you know but again you, when you talked about what you were prepared for it's it's that kind of finality of just there's just there's no going back there's not a second chance this is this is done. Yeah. And uh, there's nothing like that. Mm-hmm. No. How else has Jesus shown up to comfort you amid this? How, how else have you seen his presence, you know, in, um, in the wake of this grief? Yeah. Uh, one of the things that um, it still brings me, uh, I, I still get emotional about is there was a gentleman in our church. He, uh, just a career firefighter and uh, just a tough guy and um but a very you know uh, i call him like a velvet hammer you know mm-hmm. he's like really tough, but he's 
He's also got a really um, soft side to him. But he wrote me a letter. He says, Pastor, he says, I'm not really one given to, um, you know, dreams and visions and things like that. He says, I, I, I believe that they happen. He says, but in my experience, like, I, I've never really had anything like that. He says, but I have to tell you, I had this dream the other night. And I, there's no other word that I can explain, but just said that it was a vision. And I, and I, I felt like God wants me to share it with you. Mm. But coming from him, you know, right. I, was like, yeah. I was like, pretty, I was pretty intrigued. And I'm like, you know, I said, okay. And I said, you know, we, we tend to be more reformed in our theology. And, and I'm like, yeah, you know, I, yeah, I believe in miracles. Like what, what did God say? So he, he starts off and he tells me, he says, he, he's writing this by the way, in a, in a, in a note to me. He says, so pastor, he says, so here it goes. He says, I had this dream that you, that you died. <laughs> I thought, well, okay. That's one way to get my attention right now. <laughs> oh, but he says, so, um, I had this dream that you died and that, um, you were approaching the gates of heaven. And, um, had a vision that your sons saw you coming oh wow and he ran over and he got jesus and he says jesus jesus i want you to meet my dad oh. i want i want you to meet my dad mm. and um wow and the lord just said Jared, i've known your dad a long time mm. i know all about your dad but i'm telling you like when i when i read that I, I, it, what it did, it just, it encouraged me mm. to make sure that I don't, I don't let this light dim inside of my own soul because mm. I have other boys that are looking. Yeah. And I just thought to have my son in heaven introduce you to you Jesus know, run and, wow. and say, Hey, Jesus, this is my dad. I want you to, know, I want you to see my dad. It, it, it was, uh, it, it so breaks me up when I think oh, about that. Wow, I can imagine. Well, and so, how and what a beautiful, beautiful thing to show that through the person that he did. And I totally believe that was the Holy Spirit. You know. Yeah. I mean, that is just that's extraordinary. Pastor, this has been such an incredible time. And I, it, do you have anything else that you'd just like to say about you know? Let's say you know families are around the Christmas table and they see that empty chair. Any final words that you'd like to give them? People who are listening to this, that maybe they relative that died of COVID, maybe they've had another, maybe maybe their kid drowned like yours did. But what what else? Any kind any kind of final words? Today, I did a funeral for a young girl that uh, was in a car accident, and she was thirty five years old. And her family come to our church. Uh, she has a number of sisters, so they were like the female equivalent of our family. Mm. They had all girls. We had all boys. And the, the girls were just, you know, they're just attractive and sassy and just, they love the Lord. And mm. it, it really was a shocker to everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, the family reached out uh, to me and they're like, Pastor, I totally understand if you don't really want to do this, but, you know, this is what happened. And I'm like, no, no, of course it's, you know, we're family. And, so I went to, I did that funeral today and I, I tried to encourage them that, that their daughter went home for Christmas. Mm. 
that very often the sentiment of the holiday is such that we want everyone to be home for Christmas and that they need to get it in their head that she actually went home. We're, we're celebrating Christmas with plastic nativities. Mm. They're doing it in person. Wow. And um, there's one of the, this, uh, her name was Rachel, and Rachel's favorite verse was, be still and know that I am God. And there's a, um, there's a Psalm 131. It's only three lines. It's one of the songs of a sense from David. And um, he says in the psalm, he says, my heart is not proud and my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have stilled and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. And that sense of where we find our hope, it has everything to do with what our posture before God should be like. And what I find David saying in this psalm is that not only has he humbled himself and surrendered himself to God, and considering all that David was, right? King, artist, warrior, you know, sinner, <laughs> like all those things. Um, when he says, this one thing I do, is just still and quiet my soul like a weaned child with its mother. That that picture of a weaned child, you know, the that weaned child, it no longer is seeking food from its mom. It just wants her company. It, it wants her love. Right. And um, I, I, uh, I remember a time when my my youngest. Um, he would get out of bed, you know, really early in the mornings and you could hear his little feet pattering on the, on the hallway. And then he'd open up the door and he tried to get in bed with us, but we didn't want to start a habit that would be hard to break. So we'd always just walk him back to his room. But this one day I was getting up and it was really early. It's about four 30 in the morning and I, I had to go somewhere and I was in the master bedroom there and uh, in the bathroom and I was just like shaving and I hear his little patter coming down the street, you know, coming down the hall around four in the morning. And he opens the door and he sees me. And it was like, ah, busted. <laughs> I didn't expect to see dad up. And I just smiled at him and I just, you know, gave in. And he went around the bed. His mom was sleeping and he's tugging on the blanket. And so she just reaches over in her sleep, grabs him and throws him back in the bed. And she's back sleeping. Only he's got his head on my pillow with the blankets around his little chin. And just like this big smile, like, ah, look where I am kind of deal. And I thought, you know, the only reason he, he just wanted to be near his mom. Mm -hmm. And so here's David saying that the way I'm going to conduct my life, the way I want my soul, I just want to crawl up into the lap of God. Mm. Let him just love on me. Mm. And so I thought, okay, I could do that. Yeah. I could still and quiet my soul like a weaned child and just let God love on me. And that, my friend, is what I hope to do this Christmas. Bruce Boria, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you. Thank you.